Hello and welcome back to There's a Startup for That, powered by CoCubed, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of collaboration and innovation at corporates, celebrating awesome partnerships. You're here with me, Mark, and my colleague, Neil. Hello, everyone. And we will be your hosts today. Now, we're back with another Save the Corporate Story, and we're going to be exploring the evolving role of physical stores and the future of brick and mortar in the face of growing online sales. What does the revival of the physical store look like and how might consumer insights help that? Joining us, we have Brett from VMO2. Welcome, Brett. Hello. Welcome, welcome. And Daniel from Aurovision. Hey, guys. Welcome both. And those two together, we're going to explore their story, their impactful partnership to wrestle with those questions and to create the future of retail. Welcome. Nice. Um, so to get us started, Brett, can you tell us a little bit more about your role at VMO2 and what has your journey been in this role so far? Yeah, of course. So, um, so I head up the Continuous Improvement and Operations Development team, which is a bit of a mouthful, but <laughs> essentially, so, so, so I, I have a team that have that specific set of skills around uh, Lean Six Sigma and Agile, but also uh, a wealth of combined experience. So generally, my team have had experience of working in channels, whether that's retail, voice, online, customer experience. But essentially, we sit in op- the operations division and we give a an agnostic view. I guess essentially we're, we're, we're the problem solvers, right? So mm-hmm. people would, in, our internal customers or stakeholders will come to us whether they've identified that there's a challenge with a particular process in their area, i.e. it's taking too long or it's causing pain for their external customers or or because it's, it's you know, it's causing in problems in terms of eating up budget and funding. Um, and there's just, essentially when we come in, there's that, piece where we pin down what the problem statement is and use a whole toolkit of processes or methodologies to to get to the goal statement which essentially is to to eliminate waste or over processing um, and identify opportunities of um, to you know to either save money essentially mm. or to grow revenue um, and sometimes we we go out ourselves to to, to, to collect our own end-to-end reviews but within that um, there's a piece where within that, that's when I talk about that toolbox of methodologies and tools that we use, that would, that's where we like to keep up to speed with innovations, ideas, tech, new startups of where that actually could be something that we, we involve in our solution, something that's there. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've, I've, I've been here with, with the business for what, 23 years now. Wow. wow. Um, yeah. So that's, and that started from, being a manager of a BT shop, yeah, yeah. Um, then there was the process. Uh, we made people may remember the old BT Cellnet, um, and BT took the decision to demerge that, which then eventually became O2, and then O2 was then adopted by Telefonica, mm. um, and then we're right now we're in the, the you know in the middle of the joint venture, which is Telefonica and Liberty Global, which is where we've become that really powerful joint branding, which is Virgin Media O2. So. The one thing that's remained consistent for that journey is change. So if you don't like change, this is not the train to jump on because, um, you know, but, but with that, there's a, a lot of opportunity and excitement. Mm. Um, but yeah, essentially that's what's, you know, led to our, our um, journey with Aurovision. Nice. What a journey. 
Um, and your role sounds really interesting as well, like being a problem solver in the business, basically. You're, is it right? You're you're a black belt in Sigma, Brett? Is that right? I'm I am. Kidding. Black belt. I am. Wow. Yes. Top, <laughs> yeah. top of the run. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so, we've, so, so within our team, we have black belt, business black belt, green belts, because, you know, essentially that, that, that methodology of Lean Six Sigma has been around a long time, but still is extremely effective of just getting to the heart of, of root cause analysis mm. and that that itself there are so many simple tools and more complex tools that just because generally generally when we're getting into the heart of it with process improvement it, it often just comes down to ways of working but but indeed i'm a i am a black belt but i, I don't actually wear a, a black belt we don't have made a good uniform yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And Brett, within your 23 years at um, VMO2, obviously Mark spoke a little bit about the changing role of physical stores. I'm sure I've seen it, you know, the role of physical stores change over time. Um, Yeah, like what are your thoughts on the future of brick and mortar stores? So I don't in in, in any way believe that that retail, you know, bricks and mortar are dead. Um, You know, I think um, ourselves, we've just finished an extensive, well, actually, I shouldn't say finished because we've, we've, we finished the bulk of you know a refit across our entire estate, and then there's 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 lots more to come. Um, for me, um, whilst we've seen you know plenty of a, a, a lot of considerable change on the high street and shopping centres, um, and impacts of course post COVID, some things that that didn't go away. Mm. But ultimately, my my thought is with retail, and I, I say this as a customer. For bricks and mortar, there has to be a reason to visit, right? That's mm. the that's the essential piece. It has yeah. to be a destination. I think that you know, if, if anything that is the death of retail would be complacency. Mm. Um, so if if we see retail as just a place to purchase, then I, I can't see how you would survive. If it's if the if the angle or the route you take is based on this needs to be a destination, needs to be a reason that customers want to visit, yeah. then you will survive. Mm. Um, and I, I, there's no single solution to what that should look like. But but like I say, as a customer, there are stores that I like to visit for mm. a specific reason. And part of that will will be the obvious. I, I'd like to think it's the obvious, which is just about the experience, that, that customer service, which is absolutely critical. I, I can think right now of retailers that I haven't gone back to because purely because the experience may have been rude or or just flat yeah. you know there was there was no reason for me to go back we know this right if we're if we're in a high street now and there are two coffee shops why do you choose to go to one over the other for me it's as simple as that it could be it could be the ambience it could be the music it could be the coffee itself it could be because the people in there are just really friendly yeah. uh, it could be the wi-fi speed but ultimately that, that there's a reason why you choose to go to one over the other and it may just be because of a loyalty scheme why? Why do? Why do you go to that supermarket and not that supermarket? But, but for me, that that's what it essentially what it, what it comes down to is, um, is you have to give people a purpose, a reason to visit. And if you're basing that purely on transactional, that we you know just just here's a, here's a range of products. Would you yeah. like to buy one? Then that that won't be the future of bricks and mortar. Mm. Yeah, I think it's all the little details in the stores that add up as well. Like, as you mentioned, like the Wi-Fi speed, like the friendliness of the store staff and so on. And in in kind of like, you know, 
the shift of like the brick and mortar stores and the offering of customer experience that you have seen um, over the years. Have you come across any challenges in adapting um, VMO to stores to to kind of this shift? Um, and were there any impacts that like you may have felt throughout the years? Um, when I've when I talk about um, in terms of store refits, mm. in the time that I've been with the business, I've seen a number of those, and, and, and in a positive sense, we I think our strength is we've been quite quick to react to um, you know the change in uh, customer expectations and so forth. So um, I think that probably the, the challenge for us is just because the product itself has changed considerably, mm. even customer needs, even, you know, we mentioned Wi-Fi speeds earlier. Yeah. Um, it's quite commonplace now to, to to when you're in a store that they would have, you know, customer available Wi-Fi for browsing. For us, that's quite different. Our Wi-Fi has to be used for doing data transfers and uploads. Sometimes it could be a, a hundred gig. Mm. So, and actually for us, that, that would mean that, the, you know, the Wi-Fi speed across our stores may, may not, may not suit that that it could it, and what i mean is it could change that particular moment from having a customer a, a fluid fairly quick process in store could be you know five minutes and someone leaves with a device they want um but actually just because of doing the data it transfer itself that could be as long as two hours um so 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 for us it's more about um there's a piece there around infrastructure and, and does that support our customer needs um and also, I think we've um, we were the first to introduce a, a, a mobile plan where you pay for airtime and device separately. Mm. Um, and the whole education piece on that it was quite a, a significant shift in the market mm. from rather than your device plan just being rolled into your airtime. Um, and it's about how you bring people on board that journey, just your own people. You know, the customer, the people who are going to be talking to customers about it and customers themselves. But um, yeah, we're, we're we're obviously quite unique in in the product we sell. Mm. It's not it's not mushrooms. It's not clothes. It's um it's it's you know it's, it's expensive pieces of kit. Yeah. Um, an airtime and for for many people, it's that it could be you know it's it's a utility, right? So, as, as some people, it's as important as their electric gas is actually being able to speak to someone on their device or browse mm. or or social you know interaction with someone. So. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's important. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? When mm. we've lost signal or we can't access something, um, it's incredibly frustrating. So being able to yeah. smooth out those those pain points. Um, Brett, you, you mentioned earlier, and I think it's so important, especially for listeners um, within you know corporate innovation, to identify the problem to really get down to the to the root cause. Um, and so you highlighted a few things in terms of some of the challenges, some of the, the ways that that has impacted you over the years. Let's, let's move on to the solution and, and ways that you were sol- are solving for this. Um, how, how did you go about solving challenges and those pain points? Did you have um, solutions in place or how did, how did you approach it? So I think for us, and I think that when I mentioned, um, oh, sorry, when I referred to Lean Six Sigma, the useful piece about that methodology is it's relevant in all areas because whether it's a customer-facing process, whether it's something to do with a particular system, whether it's the way we sell something, whether it's in supply chain or in bricks and mortar, essentially 
um, we apply the same methodology throughout, which is the bit where you drill down into what, what is the real root cause, the, the mapping, the walking, the processes. But what's really important is data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it's having access to meaningful, actionable data. Um, otherwise, we, we can't measure an improvement. Otherwise, we can't fully understand the problem. I mean, a, a voice of the business, voice of the customer is all extremely important. But uh, and that's that's a key part of it to to speak to everyone that's whether, whether they're an end customer or they're, whether they're someone who's working with in trying to deliver something to a customer or sell something. But but ultimately, it's um it's it, it's the it's the data. So that's where all revision, for example, comes into it. Um, because another example similar to Oral Vision is because we need meaningful, actionable data um, to, to be able to, to get to essentially what the goal statement is, um, whether that's going to be something that takes shorter to do or whether it uh, drives more revenue or whether it, it you know, reduces waste. Um, so, so essentially, it doesn't matter what area of the business we've been looking at or what team have asked for our help or where we've gone, the methodology remains the same, mm. um, but essentially we have a like a kit of there's, there's so many different um, different uh, process thing tools you could trial whether it's a you know a fishbone diagram or a cypark or uh, or so forth. But you, you choose the ones that are relevant for what you're looking through. Yeah, the 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 uh, the toolkit of uh, of tricks to to get to those um, yes. those root causes absolutely. Um, yeah, it sounds. Yeah. I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, I'm just listening, and mm-hmm. um, you know, to the the sensei of um, problem definition. Um, I think it's so important. You know, we see a lot where moving forward with innovation, corporate innovation, particularly, and you haven't identified what is the problem that we're solving. And you've touched on something that's really essential there, which is people often jump into you know what we call a solution mode, right? Which mm-hmm. is that someone may come to your team and say, so we've got this problem and we think this is the fix. And then we'll say, well, if you know what the fix is, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've, you've, just, you've told us you have a problem, you've told us you know what the fix is. And, and generally because that actually isn't, isn't what the truth is. The truth is you think you know what the problem is or you've got an idea of it and you believe you may have an idea of what the fix is. What generally happens once you've, you've completed that, that end-to-end process that we do is actually the root cause was very different than what you thought was the problem. Yeah. And actually the fix wasn't going to work. The fix would have, it, it may have addressed your problem as you saw it, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't deal with the root cause, yeah. which meant that obviously you're still going to experience that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so you were, you were bang on there that it's, it's yeah, is people will just jump into solution mode, but this is then what puts us in that, that space of firefighting, right? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. You know, you, you may be, this is not just in work life, it's in personal life. You, you just, you keep, you, you manage to deal with the thing as it comes in front of you, but you're not dealing with what put it there in the first place. Wisdom. I'm loving this. Yes. Um, hope, <laughs> hope everyone else is as well, um, diving into this. So we've had, we've got, we've got Daniel and Aurovision waiting in, in the wings here. Um, and you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, the, or gave us a little tease into um, some of the work that you've been doing with Auravision. Before we hear from Daniel, can can you just give us an insight into what was that problem statement that um, you felt Auravision could solve for? Are you able to, Brett, just summarize that for us? What was the problem statement that Auravision really solved for you? I mentioned before that um, 
having meaningful, actionable data so that you can truly measure where we are right now and then to measure if we've, we've been successful getting that where we want to, i.e. from problem statement to goal statement. Mm-hmm. For me, so um, the challenge that we'd be presented with from our SLT, from our stakeholders was in order to continue to continue to grow as a business and to meet our strategy and our, you know and to put the customer first, we need to have richer information about our customers that come into our stores, retail stores. So um, it, we've we've had footfall counters since we've had you know our retail um, state, but footfall tells us a volume that comes in, and that is it. That, that's what footfall counters do. So that it is helpful to a point, um, arguably, is that you're, you know, you're understanding whether footfall is up or down. What we wanted was something to say, well, but when, when the customers come in, how many are in at one time? How long do they stay for? Where do they go? How long are they spending at that? So before we do a store refit and we, we, we put in this lovely new accessory bay, do our customers actually spend time at accessory bays? or not um how long do they spend at service desks how long do they spend at the teal point um what are walkout rates so if a customer walks in and there's a walkout then when does that happen and actually why is that because we had x number of customers in the store at any given time and does that therefore you know through does that correlate with walkouts so lots of us have ideas of what just based on experience across a retail state that we've had a long time and, and subject matter experts who will say, well, we believe this happens because X affects Y. But ultimately, this takes us back to, but we need data. Mm. We, we need rich data. And that's what I refer to something like Oral Vision as. as and, and our journey started there was because we we literally did a, a, record, you know, a proof of concept um, several years ago, actually, with Oral Vision, mm. which is us just seeing what the art of the possible was. And that was when I was first getting to know what computer vision was. And that was just saying, okay, what does it do? So we, we just tried it in a number of stores. And that's fun, right? Because we we, we, we had we, we trialled it for a few weeks just to see what the art of the possible was, um, which ultimately then led to some time after to doing a much larger trial with it and then to where we are now. But essentially that problem statement is footfall data alone We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll not support our, 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 our strategy for retail. So what What now? What next? Brilliant. That's very concisely put in terms of a statement. And I think a perfect tee up to bring in Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the pod. Um, great to have you with us and, and hear about um, how you went about solving this challenge. I just want to, for those who are listening give a little insight into AuraVision and your mission before we jump into how you specifically worked with VMO2. So Daniel, tell us a little bit about, about um, AuraVision. What opportunity did you see in the physical retail space? Um, why did you decide to um, you know, set up um, and get going with AuraVision? Yeah, of course. Um, so AuraVision is really all about helping retailers improve sales conversion and productivity in their physical stores. So this aligns really well, actually, with Brett's team's mission and purpose, which is to increase revenue or reduce <laughs> reduce costs in stores. So actually what we do at Aurovision is, is pretty much that in a nutshell. And the way we do that is with this unique AI technology that we've built that plugs into existing security cameras 
um, and allows retailers to get a much more detailed visibility into what's happening across every single one of their stores. And so there's a few things we've sold at Aurovision. One of them is, is kind of the granularity of the data that we report on. But the other one, which is equally important, is how can you actually deploy that at scale across every one of your stores? And, and what we're doing with O2 is actually providing full store analytics across um, a large number of 365 stores, which is probably the first retail retailer in the world to actually scale full store analytics to, to such a large number of stores now because of wow. the um, because of the ability to, to, to scale this out for the first time. Mm. That is super exciting. Uh, 300 plus stores. Um, so obviously, yeah, Brett and Daniel, you're about to roll that out. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the process of getting to this point? I know, Brett, you mentioned um, proof of concept and like larger yeah. trial. Um, but yeah, like keen to hear a little bit more details on like, how does it all work? I guess from maybe first with Brett, like from the corporate point of view, and then um, from Daniel in terms of like from the startup point of view, like how do you scale it to where it is, it is now um, from like your entry point into BMO2? Yeah, so so generally our approach with something like this and, and where we've worked with other startups or, or indeed not just startups, but a new idea or something that may well innovate or be different is we normally do do just that small proof of concept first that piece of mm. of, of giving it a try looking at um and that could be we define exactly what we want to achieve from that and in this case it may be we want to look at the actual accuracy so if this can do demographics and gender and age groups and so forth well let's test that ourselves and and some of that these are actually us having to physically do our own manual observations at those stores to or disprove the concept um, and we have you know a number of use cases that we want to hear so for us we did that and it was that we had a successful proof of concept so essentially looking at uh, some key elements of what it's what the capability is um, and as much as possible with low cost and without you know the the, the frustration of, of, of having to do a, a full IT rollout because with that brings complexity mm. that actually then um, what happened then is Aurovision remained now become a piece of our toolkit. So whilst we wasn't ready to go with it at that time, it just, you know, there, there were other priorities for the business. And it may have been, oh, two or three years later, I think, Daniel. But um, oh. then this problem statement presented itself that I referred to about actually now is the time. So it could be because of, of a change with an existing supplier, an end of contract, but an opportunity was there. And for my team, it was, well, we have just the thing actually, that we've we've already te- tested before in the proof of concept basis and actually we'd like to do you know, a, a, a much wider trial. And that did. We took a larger sample set um, and as part of making that a success, the, the, the bit that can take longer than the trial itself was actually, I guess, what I call a stakeholder tour, which is for all the teams that we believe may be able to, to, to use the data that it gives um, was to capture the use cases from them and then our purpose from that trial. So we was really clear at that start of trial exactly what we needed to achieve in terms of the, the number of use cases we need to validate, um, some technical aspects, um, and then capturing that piece and then presenting it back to stakeholders is ultimately the success of that was was then what led to the full rollout. Mm. Um, but yeah, but that, that was the the essential part. We didn't... We didn't go out to a trial looking to 
collate some insights that we thought would be useful or meaningful, we went out purely looking for what our stakeholders would want from mm. it. So we, we would, we, you know, we deal with facilitators with our agnostic view. Um, and I would say that for actually for any startup, you know, some people may test your solution. You may not, you know, it may not happen there and then, but it's so important to become part of someone's toolkit that they remember you. Um, because as in this case, or vision, that's an example of actually, although it was some time after, you know, ultimately it did lead to a full rollout. Mm. Brett, this is so good. It's so um, insightful to get that perspective, actually, particularly given the audience of this podcast, that the, the time and energy that you put into landing innovation um, with your stakeholders to go and do this stakeholder tour, to present back to them, because that's it. I mean, if you can engage stakeholders, you can get, engage the business around innovation. Um, you can really move things and, and change things. So thanks for that insight. Daniel, what was it like from your perspective? Yeah, it was, it's been an amazing journey, really, working with, with O2 and Telefonica. So as Brett mentioned, we, we did this um, small proof of concept um, a few years ago now. Uh, we were actually working with the Wi-Fi innovation team at Telefonica, um, who I think it has now been superseded by like the 5G um, business team. And that's how we actually met Brett in the first instance and started working with, with Brett's team to actually deploy the solution in a, a small handful of stores um, and deliver some results. And then things kind of snowballed from there. So we, we eventually got the, the larger um, trial with, with Brett's team and O2 Retail. But at the same time, we were able to build a relationship with both uh, Wira, which is, I believe, part of the reason we're talking today. Um, and yeah. so we, Wira and Telefonica actually invested in our business. And then we also mm-hmm. built a, a resale partnership with the VMO2 business team. So they actually sell our solution um, as part of a white label product called Spatial Insights back to Telefonica's uh, corporate network as well. So, you know, a lot of a lot of retailers, a lot of businesses that have physical locations use um, mobile phone data that's aggregated to understand who their customers are. And so they can see... Um, you know, typically like what the demographics, how they've traveled to locations. And so once they get inside the location, they can use Aura Vision to, to kind of fill in the blanks of the rest of that journey. So there's a really strong kind of dovetailing between some of the products that Telefonica offers already and the gaps that we're able to fill Aura Vision with computer vision. And it kind of comes back to computer vision as well. In the, the early days, we were, Telefonica were, were having a look at where the gaps in their portfolio were and computer vision was identified as a, a pretty strong candidate for, for use of 5G and um, could be a, a beneficial to their, their corporate network. And I think the same has been true for, for OT Retail and having that kind of dovetail of, um, of challenges and opportunities, uh, I think is really what's powered the relationship between the two organizations now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think at CoCube, we, we always say corporate innovation. You can do three things. You can build, you can buy, or you can partner. And in this case, um, the fruitful partnerships that you have with um, between our vision and BMO2. And I think Brett summarizes you know, the process of it, like the working experience of it really well. But I think we're keen to kind of flip it the other way around and hear a little bit more about your side as well, Daniel, like as a startup, how has your experience been so far um, working with um, corporates like VMO2? And um, how do you feel you were able to add value to the corporate? 
Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's been brilliant working in, in this example with Brett's team because they're so, they're so engaged with the product and so engaged internally in the business that they know how to position the, the solutions correctly to all the various stakeholders. I think probably one of the, the largest challenges for a startup like us working with large corporates is just that there are so many different stakeholders mm-hmm. and teams are arranged in different ways it's often hard to get access, at least in the early days, to the correct stakeholders and position the solution in, in the right way to them because there's, there's so many uh, different kind of competing ideologies within the business. So having a, a team like Brett's so, so engaged with the solution is really what's been so critical in, in helping us scale up and, and finding that team in the first instance is really the, the end of the game for us. Yeah, no, it's, it's so good. Just hearing that, I think you... You've almost wrapped in some advice there in terms of to startups to be aware of um, what it takes to to get your solution through to a stage of partnership, and what we've heard as well from Brett. And Brett, I, I don't know if you already do this, but to hear more of your thoughts on how you engage stakeholders, I know that that could be another podcast series probably. Um, but as we land, as we come into land now, we always end our podcast with one question. And this one question is to both of you, Daniel and Brett, and here it is. If you were to give advice, or you are giving advice, to corporate innovation leaders out there, what is the one key action that they should take to save the corporate? So we'll start with Brett. What's one piece of advice for corporate innovation leaders? So, so for me, I'm, I apologize. Well, actually, I don't apologize if it sounds obvious, because it is so important, is it is knowing your customer so you, you could pitch an idea to me, but ultimately I'm thinking about our end customer. So you would need to be thinking the same, having the same perspective. Um, what, what a failure I see sometimes is where people pitch an idea to us and me and my team say, we're just not sure who you're intending this for. It's, it's, um, you, you, it's, it's that piece almost takes back to solution mode of you've showed us a solution, but I'm not sure who it's a solution for. So and, and again, I guess it's similar to the root cause piece. But if you if you if you catch us, if you're if you're aligning with what our our purpose is for our business, our, it's our customer first. So that is the customer who walks into our retail store, who shops online. So if your idea is going to touch them in a meaningful way, then you're on the you're absolutely on the right track. But that's how you need to present that purpose always thinking of the very end customer yeah it's absolutely crucial to know your customer and understand them um really well and daniel um if you could give an advice to a startup um looking to work with corporate what would be your one key action that they should take to you know even begin their journey or even start thinking about it yeah so i think when you start working with uh, a new corporate I think bringing a really clearly defined process and clearly defined success yeah. criteria for the next milestone of that process is the most important thing. Um, from the startup's perspective, if you can define that and build that and then communicate that to the stakeholders you're working with, that's fantastic. Sometimes the corporate will have their own process, maybe it's for innovation or for procurement, for example. So as a startup, you do have to sometimes be adaptive and flexible. But so long as you're both agreed on what that process is and what kind of the end criteria are for success, then that's going to lead to success for everyone involved in the project. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, from this podcast, what I'm hearing is like startup and corporate um, partnership, partnership is a bit like long-term relationship. Like you need <laughs> really clear communication, like understanding of each other's vision. And um, yeah, it's it's so good to hear. Um, so yeah, I think that's all for, for our podcast today. That's all. Thank you so much, Daniel, Brett, for your insight and sharing the story, opening the lid on the partnership between AuraVision and VMO2. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark Neil and Brad. Thank you. Um, if you would like to get in touch, you can find us on CoCubed, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And we looked forward to hearing from you. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in our next episode. 